Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. Even now your enemies are in tumult. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against those you protect. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. They conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gabal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the Wadi Kishan, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Reb and Zeb, all their princes like Zebah and Zamuna, who said, let us take the pastures of God for our own possession. O oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chafe before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame so that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. Let them know what you, that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Morning, everyone. How are y'all? Okay, great. I think my microphone's good. Uh, so, my name is Brittany. I'm the pastor here, and it's good to have you in worship today. Before we begin the sermon, I um, just want to say thanks to Luis for the testimony and ask you to pray. Holy and gracious God, for the gift of so many emotions that you put in our being, anger, joy, fear. Open our eyes to these gifts that we may celebrate them and know that they serve purposes and help us to understand your vision. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, several years back, I was hanging out with a friend. We were on our way to a meeting downtown, and we were driving. And we were, we were driving down Sheridan Road, and we got to that sticky little spot on Sheridan by Loyola where there's the two stoplights that are about 100 feet apart. You know what I'm talking about? And as we were driving, my friend was telling me about this situation that he had come upon. He, uh, it was at the end of the year, and he wasn't sure if he had gotten his insurance renew, renewed, and so he wasn't sure if he was going to have health insurance the next year, and he was really stressed out about it. And he had made several phone calls, and each call's representative had told him conflict, conflicting information, and so he was just, like, 
really frazzled, not sure what was happening. And as he was telling me this story, the, the tension in the car just like filled up. We got to this little section of the stoplight, and the, the stoplight directly in front of us was red. And there was a car parked in front of us, or, or at least stopped for the red stoplight. But 100 feet beyond, the light was green. And my friend, in his anger, could not see the stoplight directly in front of us. He only saw the stoplight beyond. And so he started laying on the horn, come on, you idiot, what are you doing? It, you know, you're holding us up, blankety, blankety, blank, blank, blank. I won't fill in what, all of what he said. And he continued to just lay on the horn, you know, in his anger. He laid on the horn for about 20 seconds so that eventually this poor driver in front of us ran the red light and then continued on. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's a red light there. Uh, so fun story, right? Um, glad, glad we're all safe. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe not running a red light, but have you ever been so angry about one situation that has caused you to react in another situation in anger, right? You're angry about this really big thing, but instead you take it out on the waitress because she takes a long time to bring your bill. Or you take it uh, out on the internet that seems to be moving too slow, right? Are you feeling me? Okay, I'm human too, so I'm glad that we're, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone in this anger. Uh, today I want to talk about anger as a gift. A lot of times uh, we think that the anger is only a bad thing, right? Because we think of about it in those sort of hothead situations where we're um, quickly reacting. But today I want to talk about it as a gift of an emotion that God has given us. Before I dive in too deep, though, we're basing the sermon series. We're looking at all the emotions that are present in the book of Psalms, and we're using the characters from inside out. So I want, um, I want to play a little clip of uh, Lewis Black, who is talking about his character of anger in the movie Inside Out. In that movie? Yes. Okay. What's your favorite emotion? There's only three people that's seen the movie, so anger, <laughs> disgust, and... Um, so today we're going to be talking about anger, and anger gets a bad rap in the Christian church. We pull out Bible verses like James 1, 19, that um, says that Christians should be slow to anger. We think that Christians should be humble and meek, and that there's no room for anger in our sort of emotions as Christians. But the truth is that James passage is talking about like how to relate to people, how to be in relationship with people. And, and if, you'll, if you'll notice, if you'll look at that James passage, it doesn't actually say do not get angry. It says just be slow to anger, right? So there's, there's some wisdom in that, right? There's some wisdom in that. But anger is, it is a gift. It is part of our identity. It's one of the emotions that God has given us to express uh, when we see injustices in this world. Um, and as the clip says, anger gets things done, right? Anger is what it helps us to discern when we see injustices, and it propels us to do something about it. In our scripture passage today, did anybody feel uncomfortable in reading that psalm? Yeah, right? Like, it, it feels uncomfortable to be in a church gathered with people and hear a psalm 
full of violence and anger, right? A psalm that wants to destroy people. And yet, this is one of the books of the Bible. This is part of our lexicon of scripture. So I want to dig into what this passage is doing a little bit, and then we'll talk about what that means for us. This psalmist was offering a communal complaint, a lament is another word, a prayer of lament, to God asking for help because Israel had from hostile nations. We heard, we heard some of the nations listed, but not even all of them were listed. They have experienced suffering and trauma over, over the course of centuries from the Assyrians and the Moabites and the Ishmaelites and the Philistines and not mentioned, but also true, the Babylonians, right? The, the people of Israel have been harmed and traumatized and experienced violence all over. And so this psalm was written, right, to express anger, Now, you'll notice I did say that this psalm is full of violence and anger. I want to separate the two of those for a moment because I don't think that anger and violence have to go together, but I think sometimes we conflate those as going together. I want to say just a word about violence. Violence is always wrong. Violence is always wrong. It is wrong to kill police officers in Baton Rouge. It's wrong to kill black bodies for a broken taillight. Violence is always wrong. And so I don't condone violence, but when I look at the scripture passage and I look at the history of Israel, I can see how when, when a people have been repeatedly traumatized and harmed, the response is to want to harm back. Can you see that? And so we have to sort of stop that cycle um, what comes to mind is uh, what comes to mind is when when Monica and I were taking the classes for foster parenting, and actually as we were becoming licensed, they made us sign a pledge that we would not use corporal punishment with our foster child. Now, of course, we haven't been using that with our uh, birth child either. Like I, I don't believe in corporal punishment because it's violence, right? It's teaching my if if my child hits you. And then I hit my child back, to, or spank, right, to teach my child not to hit. Do, do you get it, right? Like, I haven't taught my child not to hit. I've taught my child that the bigger person and the person with more power wins, right? So violence, meeting violence with violence is never the answer, but you can see how it happens sometimes, Right? So that's violence. Let's leave that over for a moment. Well, actually, so, so listen to these words then and hear the violence. This is what Israel says in the psalm. Make them like whirling dust, like chafe before the wind. As the fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane, says the psalmist. So violence is wrong, but... Confession time, have you guys ever felt like really angry at somebody that you wished them dead? Okay, good. I'm going to tell a story about how I did that, so um, I just want to make sure that you've done it too. Uh, (laughs) Before I'm vulnerable, you have to be vulnerable. Uh, So when I finished seminary and uh, I 
was out and gay and, and felt like the church wouldn't welcome me, I um, was so angry. So angry and sad, but angry, right? And I will confess to you that there were times in my prayer life that my prayer went something like this. God, so-and-so that's the leader of the anti-gay movement, they're so old. Can't they just die? <laughs> it would make my life so much easier if they were dead. <laughs> Please, God. <laughs> Amen. Um, I wasn't quite as creative as a psalmist wishing that a hurricane would claim their life or a fire, but right, we've all been there. We've all had that anger that we just wish things were different or we hope for it. But that anger wasn't, that wasn't the ending place of my anger, and it isn't for the psalmist either. Their anger is fueled by the hope of God's grace and sovereignty. So you're not, to be angry just as emotion to blow up and have your headlight on fire like anger, that is not the point of anger. Anger is fueled by the hope of God's grace and sovereignty. Fill their faces with shame so that they may seek out your name, says the psalmist. Sure, they are angry about the way that in, the enemies of Israel have been treating Israel, right? It hurts. But mostly, the larger picture of their anger is that they are angry that the people attacking Israel, attacking the other nations, have a complete disregard for God's will. Their anger is not, a, not just about being attacked. It is about that the people that are attacking them don't understand God's vision. Right? You get that? They're ignorant and unmoved to accept God's reign of justice and righteousness. Their anger is fueled by the hope that those causing harm to Israel will eventually recognize the error of their way and be reconciled with God. So it's not an anger like, it is saying, yes, I want to destroy you, but then it's saying, yes, but really what I want is for you to reconcile with God. Really what I want is for you to understand the vision for this world of what it could be. That's some powerful anger, an anger that is rooted in the hope of God's vision for this world. Pastor Emily uh, from our Hyde Park Hyde Park location shared this really great quote that I totally stole from her and put in the e-news this week. Can you throw it up there, Tony? Because I just lost it in my notes. There it is. Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. When we have a vision of God's reign where the meek shall inherit the earth, where the boundaries that separate us are lifted, where sharing and kindness rule, then our anger is because we see the world not as it is, but as it should be, as God desires it. Y'all, if you look around at this world, this world as it is, and are not absolutely overwhelmed with anger, then you're not paying attention. It's overwhelming out there. It is overwhelming. 
And it has been, to Duane's point, it has been for a very long time. We are just becoming more woke to it. So our anger is not something that we wear on our sleeves that causes our head to explode, you know, in the midst of something like a stub toe. It is something that resides deep in our belly where we can channel it into courage to make changes. Anger is about presence and fortitude in the face of injustice because, let's face it, those that oppress us, whether it is intentionally or unintentionally, and I should say when we are the oppressors, right? Like, let's, let's be real. We, we are both, right? We don't give up easily. Anger is what causes us to relinquish and, and, and change. So, like, let's just throw out a couple of examples. When I look to history, I, I want to start with the scriptures. The story of Pharaoh and Moses, right? Moses, out of anger, said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And how, what, how did Pharaoh respond? No, right? It would be nice if he was just like, oh, yeah, I see the air of my way, sure. Yes, please, leave. That's what we as good Christians want, right? That's how we want this story to be, that we like boldly say, let my people go. And then, and then the person's like, oh, sure, okay, and do it. But that's not, that's not what happens, right? What happens so many times? Moses had to keep going back, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. That was the fire in the belly, anger, that fueled that change. And we see it in more recent history. We see it in um, the, the civil rights movement in the face of Jim Crow laws and segregationists, right? This didn't happen overnight. It was years in the making. Fighting, right? All rooted in deep anger. We have to change. We saw it in South Africa with the apartheid movement, the anti-apartheid movement, I should say, to change. People were thrown in jail. People were tortured, right? Because it is so hard, to, and we need that anger, rooted in anger, to move and change. We see it in the Black Lives Matter movement. We see it in the Reclaim campaign that we've been working on to close down a section of Cook County Jail so less people spend time in jail for nonviolent crimes like a marijuana ticket. We see it in the fair cops ordinance that we're trying to work on. These things come out of a deep-rooted sense of anger that things are not as they should be. These things are, they remind us that to be Christian is not to be nice but to live into Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God that is gradually unfolding day after day, year after year, right? So I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you good news um, about what anger has done for us in the United Methodist Church. So many of you know that we are a church that... um, that uh, like I am a United Methodist pastor. We uh, we are a United Methodist church, though so, uh, we are not trying to just make little Methodists. If you are um, Baptist or Catholic or didn't grow up in a church, you're welcome in this place. You don't have to identify as Methodist. We are you know very 
non-denominational in that aspect. Um, but I, some great stuff happened this last week, so I want to I wanna share about it. Uh, I love the UMC, the United Methodist Church, and there are some deeply, deeply problematic issues with it. Just as Luis was talking about this church, right, and, and every other church, um, uh, while it can be this beautiful place of spiritual formation and celebration of God, it is also infected, as, is so, as are so many things, it is infected with the sin of racism and sexism and homophobia. And it makes me so angry to see that because I think the church of Jesus Christ should be better than that. Right? I feel like that was an amen moment, so I'm going to back up and say that again. And then, you, guys, I gotta, you know, I'd like to be talked back to. So, uh, I gotta train you. <laughs> so let me try again. Let me try again. Well, the church can be this beautiful place. Are you ready? Of spiritual formation and celebration, it is also infected with the sin of racism and homophobia and sexism. And it makes me so angry because I think the church of Jesus Christ can be better than that. Amen. I should have delivered it with more gusto, but we'll get there, y'all. We are working toward perfection. So. so this year, here's a really great thing about the UMC. This year, the UMC celebrated 60 years of ordaining women as pastors. Amen. Yeah. Now, I, that, I mean, that... There were not many churches ordaining women in 1956, y'all, right? Like, there just weren't. And so that is super awesome, and I celebrate that milestone, and I'm so glad you guys yelled amen back. Um, And that happened because of anger. That happened because women and men were not satisfied with the way things were, but had a vision for what God wanted in the church, right? So that happened because of the fire in the belly, that caused change. Now, once women started serving as pastors, it wasn't long before people started saying, well, when are we going to have a woman bishop? We have a system of bishops, right? So when are women going to be bishops? And you know what? That happened in 1980, which is also pretty cool. Like, it was a long enough ago that I'm like, hey, that's kind of cool. It doesn't mean that the sexism got eradicated from the church, but it was a start, right? So then the question started happening, when are we going to ordain African-American women as bishops? Because up until this point, up until the 1980s or so, the church had primarily been full of straight or closeted um, white bishops, and then there were, there were also some male African-American bishops. Um, there is a whole history there that I do not have time to go into. But the question was asked, like, when are we going to break some of these barriers, right? So the western area of the United States, we're divided up into five geographical regions. There's the western jurisdiction, north central, northeast, south, southeast, and south central. The western area of the jurisdiction turned this anger, this fortitude, this bravery, this vision of who uh, they thought God was calling them to be um, and to live into a diverse leadership. And they uh, prophetically consecrated their first African-American woman as a bishop in 1984. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So Bishop Leotine Kelly uh, was actually, though, born in 
D.C. And she spent a lot of her, she, she was born um, a preacher's daughter, and uh, she soon felt the call to ministry and was ordained, and she did most of her ministry in Virginia and Nashville. But she realizes that, realized that her gifts as an administrator, as the potential to be a bishop, were not going to be recognized in the southern half of the United States. And so she said to her colleagues in the South, fellas, because it was mostly fellas, fellas, I've got to go. And it was in 1984 that the western jurisdiction, so she had to travel from Virginia to the west, she was consecrated as a bishop. Now, there was this woman named Josepheta, uh, Josepha Betta Wall, and she was one of Bishop Kelly's colleagues at the time back in the 80s in Virginia. And she said that she had long been troubled. Now, when I say that word troubled, what do you hear? Angry. She had long been troubled by the memory that the UMC's first African-American woman bishop had to travel across the United States to break barriers. Right? That's troubling. That's cause for anger. Many people were troubled by that. Many people were angry. And so they continued to work and plan and strategize. And guess what happened? Guess what happened this year? Like two days ago, 32 years after the election of Bishop Kelly, the South elected their first African-American bishop, Bishop Sharma Lewis, who was consecrated yesterday or the day before. Um, isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. This is what anger does. This is what anger does. It causes us to work and change. And that is not the only exciting thing. Um, I feel like uh, game show hosts were like, wait, there's more. Um, there were 15, and I'm sorry I'm geeking out, United Methodist. Uh, are y'all still with me? Is that okay? There are 15 bishop slots that were open this year um, across the whole of United States. And uh, four of those spots went to African-American women. Isn't that awesome? Almost one-third went to African-American women. I'm not talking about the men. I, I, I just think it's awesome. Including um, our former district superintendent and now Bishop, uh, Dr., Reverend Dr. Bishop Tracy Smith Malone, which is awesome. Y'all know uh, her? Yeah, well, you're not anymore because she's going to Ohio but to be a bishop. But um, I celebrate and I mourn that she will not be with us anymore. So now, here's the deal. Four black women as bishops in the United Methodist Church does not end racism or sexism in our church. <laughs> That's an amen moment, too. Um, just as a black president doesn't end racism in the United States, right? But it's a step. And it, it means that other African-American women that are feeling called to ministry see their identity in these bishops. And when they go into ministry, they raise up more Christians, and then the church, the, the church becomes more diverse. Do you see how this like, just all trickles down? It's awesome. It is um, a glimpse of God's vision realized. But wait, there's more. I don't know what you all were doing on Friday night, but I was glued to my computer screen. Doesn't that sound like a hot date? Um, the western half of the United States, the western jurisdiction, again, um, caught a glimpse of God's vision and used their anger to work for change. 
And Friday night, the Western jurisdiction unanimously um, elected Bishop Karen Olivito, the first openly gay and married United Methodist. <laughs> Completely against church, church law, by the way. <laughs> um, and it's going to be challenged. But do you catch a glimpse of God's vision in these elections? Do you see what anger can do for us? I celebrate. I celebrate anger, right? So what are you angry about? Now, if, you're, if your first response is something like, well, Brittany, I'm angry that the post office keeps ripping my favorite magazine, or I'm angry that my spouse forgot to buy eggs at the grocery store, or I'm angry that my barista makes my drink wrong every week, um, I would say, hey, you should try some meditation and maybe read James 1, 19. <laughs> but if you are angry because you have caught a vision of what this world could be, if you are angry because you know this God's vision is so much more than what we are living in, if you have a vision where every child's belly is full, and I'm not talking about full on Cheetos and soda, but full on good, nutritious food, if you have a vision where men and women of all colors and sexual orientations and identities are in leadership, a vision where we do not have to fear the next attack on police officers or the next shooting of a black man for a taillight being out, if you have a vision where we do not have to fear terrorist attacks in France or here or anywhere else, that is holy and righteous anger. That is a gift from God. And so I give you a blessing. May your anger be a slow, steady burn that is fueled by the hope of God's vision for this world. And may you move in a way that can cause others to catch that vision too. Amen.